Welcome into the Story Podcast. This week we talk about the ones that got away. Everybody makes mistakes. It's how we learn about those mistakes and, and be better next time. So me and Ruben are going to break down our stories about the ones that got away. See if we learned anything. But first, we're going to start it like always and talk about meals. And it's been Thanksgiving, so we've probably had a lot of game meals and, and oh, yeah. interesting meals and probably bloated, a little fatter. We might have to run that off for the new year, but we'll wait till the holidays are done. But <laughs> but yeah. first, let's go over our... Okay, we're changing the setup here at the Storied Podcast. We're doing this in the morning now, just for this episode, maybe, maybe yeah. before. But we wanted to start off, Ruben, you can go first, but the coffee cups we have. We're avid coffee drinkers now. Ruben introduced me and never used to drink coffee, but... Yeah, but, I think that the first time, that, not the first time, but the, one of the first times I got you starting to drink coffee was when you were over there in Utah, and yeah. I came down for that shed hunting trip in March, and I was like, dude, you're going to need to have some coffee for me. Like, You're like, I don't drink coffee. I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to get some coffee or something then, because, uh, but you had a coffee maker, and I think it was like McCafe. I think it was like the McDonald's coffee, which actually is not that bad. Um, I got and, that uh, at work usually, yeah. And I think, yeah, you were talking then about like it gets you too hyped up. Now and now you're just yeah. a regular old addict, right? <laughs> no, yeah, no, you just need it. <laughs> yeah, but um, Which so we're drinking good, drinking coffee according in the morning. Normally we're drinking beer. Um, I got my coffee mug here. It's uh, my sister bought it for me. It's from Hawaii. It's got. The Hawaiian Islands in uh, artistic map with a little bit of uh, it's even got a little bit of relief on the mug where the islands come out of the ocean. Yeah, like a little relief, yeah. like a, they come up a little bit in the um, ceramic, and uh, it's got a little picture of um, I don't know palm trees, some flowers, and a ship, and a little like the background is a gridded map from like the old days when you know people are sailing around with big sails and stuff. So it's kind of cool little cup and. Uh, it's got coffee in it, and it's got Hawaiian hazelnut coffee that I bought from Winco, so it's actually not from Hawaii. It says it, coffee not actually <laughs> from Hawaii, but it's Hawaii hazelnut flavor. <laughs> Just the naming is yeah, is good. But What's yeah, good? I got my favorite fish species right here. They'll sell Vlinus fontanalis. That is the um, brook trout, one of my favorite species, and... Um, work with them for a living and uh, my sister also got that for me I guess my nephews kind of bought that for me I didn't have any coffee cups at work when they came to see me and they're like you need some so <laughs> they bought me a little gag gift of the brook trout uh, mug so I love drinking out of it but good deal we'll see it like normally when we're recording <clears throat> sometimes We'll have a couple, three beers, and by the end of it, I don't know if you guys can tell, but we start to get a little off the rails. I wonder if the coffee will be better, or maybe we'll just start talking way faster by the end of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. But, all right, let's let's go into, I guess, our, our food and kind of what we've been up to. I might kind of just blend it all together, if that's, that's yeah. good. I mean, I'm assuming okay. you've been up to family stuff for the holidays. Yeah, 
Yep, exactly. It was Thanksgiving, so I went home for the holidays, and um, it was Wisconsin's gun deer opener, and I did not partake with a weapon, but I partook in just kind of the traditions we have, and and so my brother-in-law was only one on our property hunting, so we lost some leased land, so we were down to only like 20 acres of private to hunt, so he was out there. He, he shot a doe. So like usual, we brought the dough back and, um, cleaned it all up, deboned all the meat, packaged what we, what they wanted really. Um, and, um, me and my sister decided to try a bone broth recipe with all the deer bones. And so the recipe she, she found had, um, you boil, you debone all the meat, you save your whatever your ribs we took the ribs and all the leg bones and things like that pretty much everything but the spinal column and uh oiled it all first for i think 10 to 15 minutes i don't know if i necessarily would do that now but but then after that you um take it in the oven i think it was like 350 for another 15 minutes and so you you cooked it all and then we, I guess, let it set overnight. We put it outside in the in the outdoor cooler of the garage in cold Wisconsin. Um, and then put it in a giant pot and cooked it for 8 to 12 hours with celery and um, carrots and onions and all that stuff. I wish, one thing I wish we would have did is put a little more aromatics in it and put like bay leaves, thyme, things like that because... When it was done, it turned out great, but I wish it had a little more flavor. But thing is, we can add that when you pop it out of the jar. So, so then we strained it off, strained it multiple times, and and actually put it in in jars and pressure cooked those for 20 minutes. I think it calls for. So now they're sealed and and on the shelf. So next time I need to cook something with some stock, I'm gonna use some venison stock. That's awesome. I actually also have a bunch of broth in my fridge that I recently made, but we got to go to the beginning, go to the start of where that came from with my my meals here. Um, Unless you have anything more to add, if you want to talk about anything else from your I don't have. The only thing I I would add with that, well, the recipe part would have been, I I wish we would have did less water, more... um, more bones or even cut the bones up in like three inch pieces and stuff with a Sawzall or whatever you have. And my sister even, yeah, my sister. And I mean, Daniel, um, from meat eater, she said she adds uh, collagen to it even. So Mm. I I wish I would have, I would have did all that. So if next time that was the first time trying and I definitely wrote down what, um, what to do for the next time, you know, learning from your mistakes, just like this yeah. episode's about, but yeah. all right, you can go into, into what you've been eating and up so, to. Uh, so for, for Thanksgiving, normally I go home, not normally first couple of years I've lived in Montana. I would go home for Thanksgiving gun deer season, all that, you know, I think I had gone 14 or 15 years of my life in a row sitting out in Northern Wisconsin on opener. And, uh, Last year was the first year that that did not happen. And um, it's just kind of become more, uh, it's hard to go, you know, from Montana to the Midwest two times in two months. So uh, I decided to start going for Christmas because it's a, you get more holiday and you see more people and and like, because our Thanksgiving is literally 
one day up at the cabin plus you know the the hunting and ice fishing for the like the week there which is great but i only you know see my close family i don't see any like other friends and things like that because it's northern wisconsin but um so i was here for thanksgiving and actually met maddie's parents for the first time and for thanksgiving dinner uh they wanted a turkey and i happened to have a turkey in the freezer hole that I had uh, killed in the spring. And uh, that's what well, I normally most do. People, most people do a domestic turkey for Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, exactly. You'd slap a wild turkey on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. So I uh, I always keep one of the turkeys whole or or halved, like, you know, uh, in, in the freezer from the spring, knowing that when Thanksgiving comes around, it's it's always good to have that option, and then if it, if you don't want to do that, you still can cut it up into breasts and legs and and whatever. But um, so what I did with that turkey, very nervous, obviously cooking for uh, yeah. Maddie's parents, meeting them for the first time, not huge wild game eaters, you know. Have they you know? before you go into that? Have they ever had any wild game or anything before? I don't think so, because on this trip. I both uh, prepared them their first wild turkey and their first wild or the first elk venison. Um, I'm sure that they probably had, you know, typical sticks and sausage yeah, or whatever yeah, at some jerky. point. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely never had the wild turkey for the Thanksgiving dinner thing before. Yeah. And obviously the, um, cause we were talking about, you know, how people do the stupid deep fried thing and start, whole city blocks on fire yeah, and stuff doing fire. that and and uh you know i was like that's a really good way to dry out a turkey that's why people think like if you do that with a wild turkey you might not even be able to eat it um yeah <laughs> and but if you treat it right it's fantastic so what i did was uh you know defrosted it and then i made a brine and i think this is actually pretty much along the lines of the meat eater cookbook recipe but i i put a little of my own Modified. spit on it um, so it's a gallon of water, uh, one cup of kosher salt, one cup of brown sugar, peppercorns, bay leaves. And I think that's all that the brine was from the book, but I also threw in cranberries and, uh, apples. Wow. So that'd be a little Wisconsin that. zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives it a little <laughs> bit of that fall sweet f- aromatic flavor, you know, um, and so you brine that for over 12 hours. I think I did 18. Um, actually, what I did was I did the whole turkey first, and I, I cooked the first half for our friends giving the week before, which was nice because it was like a little trial run. So if it wasn't, yeah, you know, then I would know what to expect when uh, Maddie's folks got here. But uh, that turned out you know, pretty fantastic. So you basically just brine it for that amount of time. And then what you do is you put it on a smoker grill, you know, pellet grill at, I think it was 275 maybe for like two hours. And you wait yeah. until that internal gets up to about 150. And then once it hits 150, you start basting it with a bunch of butter. And yeah. And then uh, once it hits one or no, you start basting it with butter when it's like 130. Basically when you have about 30 minutes left, you start basting it and then once it hits 150 you turn the pellet grill up to high and you have some barbecue sauce handy and you slather that on there and caramelize it on the outside 
Yeah. And then you take it off the grill once it hits 150 to 155 and let her, let her sit there a little while. And, uh, then you carve it up and it's really, really good. It's like the most, um, moist Turkey I've yeah. ever had, even like compared to domestic, even, um, I don't know what would happen if you tried that same thing with a domestic Turkey, if it would just be like butter in your mouth or I don't know. Cause like I've had domestic Turkey not cooked that way. You know, just your typical Thanksgiving oven turkey. You know, I've had some bad ones in the past. Yeah, people yeah. overdo them. Um, so I wonder if that would be a foolproof way too to do a domestic one. But anyway, so we we ate that. Had to give the little disclaimer about pellets, you know. And luckily, I think we only found one. <laughs> um, I did. Who, shoot who that. found it? Who who found the? Well, I found one when I was uh, carving it. it. So we got it out of the way first. I can't remember who one person, it might've been her mom or dad. I can't remember, but nobody, nobody bit one, but like they found one, you know, when they were cutting it. Yeah. So that was good. But anyways, so that was, that was a big hit. People liked the Turkey a lot. Um, However, they did say they liked the elk I cooked later better, but what? So what, what did the parents, what did they say? Like, like, Oh, this is is crazy. I never saw yeah, I don't. They they didn't get the reaction for the turkey uh, as much as when I cooked the elk the next night or two nights later, because uh, I cooked the elk hindquarter like cut like a certain mm-hmm. sirloin something like that, and uh, I I cooked that on the grill after I rubbed it down. And yeah, I cooked it a little more than I normally would just because you know people yeah, don't wild people. game. Yeah. But yeah, they they really liked that. Like you know, the turkey was like, oh, it's really good turkey, and the elk was like, wow, I like the elk, you know. Um, so classic, uh, yeah, yeah. But they also like red meat more. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. so we had the turkey. Obviously, you have leftovers. So uh, past Thanksgiving, I had a little bit of the breast meat left over, and I just made some turkey tacos with some of that breast meat, and then uh, the then. I made a broth out of the rest of it, you know, so like that darker leg meat still on there. You got some skin on there. Yeah. You got the carcass. And I, I put that in with a bunch of water and uh, probably like four carrots, four celery stalks, a whole yellow onion um, and some bay leaves. And that put something else in there. a little dill, put a little dill in there. Oh. And uh, yeah, let that thing just go three, four hours after I got it to a boil, brought it back down, let it go three or four hours. And I was hoping to make like soup out of it, like cut off all the rest of the um, meat and yeah, then the have bird. it in there as yeah. the soup. But then the wild turkeyness came out because it's in that broth and it sucked all of the salt out of the meat. So then all uh, the pieces of meat in there just were like kind of chewy and no flavor. And I was like, eh, right, yeah. yeah. But the broth was amazing because the broth yeah. tasted like what the turkey tasted like, but it's liquid, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I ended up discarding the rest of the meat, but I kept, I, I, I strained out three quarts of the broth, which was really good. And then I kept the rest of the broth with the vegetables for vegetable soup side kind of thing. So I've had that a couple of times, just like with a different meal that I put crackers in with it and it's really good. It's like very aromatic broth. It's like very, yeah. very herbs and, you know, very turkey tasting very much. So, um, kind of unfortunate. I, I got to definitely hone my skills. on making a soup, uh, out of that. Like, I think that was not the way to do it. Uh, I think I should have probably taken the meat off first and then made the broth and then put the meat back in. 
Yeah. It just sucked all the seasoning out of the meat, you know? Yeah. But, but the broth is amazing. So anyways, that's the turkey start to finish. You know, you got, I got three meals out of that, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, turkey tacos, and then a, a broth soup deal. Yeah. Beak to fan, pretty much eat the whole thing. Not much waste yeah. there. Yeah. But so, so what do you, um, what were you up to after the old Thanksgiving? Did you get out in the woods? I've been hunting. I've been hunting. Uh, I, this is the most sits that I've ever done trying to kill a white-tailed doe with my bow. I've been trying to kill a white-tailed doe with my bow, I think, eight eight sits now. Holy cow. All days? All days? No, no, just... no, no. They're all mornings yeah. or evenings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, initially, it was pretty fun because I was in the rut. We're, we're kind of out of the rut now, but like last week it was still going pretty good. So, you know, I was having fun seeing bucks come through and stuff. And I, I could have made shots on two or three different bucks. Uh, none of them are really big though. I could have killed mm-hmm. one two weeks ago. That would have been like, if I hadn't filled the tag yet, I definitely would have killed it. It was like a two and a half year old, like five by five. Um, yeah. which on public land, if you have a bow, like, I don't know, like do what, you know, if I needed meat, I would shoot it. But if I didn't need yeah. meat as much, then I wouldn't. Um, but yeah, so uh, I've had a lot of, I've been seeing deer every day. I had a, a couple of them come in at like, or actually two days in a row, I had five deer coming at three yards over my right shoulder. I'm a right-handed shooter. So th- mm-hmm. that didn't work out. They came too cl- like my turn, stand yeah. setup. My stand setup was that my wind's going back into this thick shit and I'm not going to shoot back there. And that's where all the deer came from right under my stand. Yeah. Um, you got a climber? You use a climber? So I, I have a hanger set up in my hot spot. And then okay. after that got pretty hunted out, I would say there was like a lot of dudes in there. Um, and I know them and they killed the doe and one buck got wounded and it was like getting yeah. hammered. Um, I went to a different spot with a climber. Uh, and that spot I've been seeing tons of deer. Like the first night I sat there, I had three bucks come through and five does. And then, um, and then uh, one of those does... Uh, Ryan, have you ever missed? Yeah. Have you ever I, just I, missed? I, I think I was talking to someone. I'm like, I, I went like all the way, probably 11 years, and I never missed a deer. I don't know how. And I, I, I whiffed at a doe twice one time. I shot her, and she came closer, and I shot and missed. And I'm like, how did that happen? But, yeah, I've missed plenty of times now. Yeah, I missed. I had a day that I had eight deer and, and it was crazy because I got in the stand at 2 p.m. There's like two and a half, three hours left of light. Like literally I got my climber like set up, got my harness on, turn around and there's like freaking two does at 100 yards of speed. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. you know? Yeah, <laughs> and nice. then there were bucks running everywhere. And basically there was a doe and a fawn. And I don't need a whole bunch of meat right now, but I want some meat and fawns taste really good. And yeah. I'm, I'm hunting on a bonus tag anyway. That's doe tag. Um, and so I'm watching this fawn and this doe feed in for like half an hour. They're at like 70, 60, 50. Finally, the fawn comes down the trail and starts poking around at 30 and it got to 25 and probably shouldn't have taken this first, this first shot was just probably not a good shot to take, but I draw and I'm in a tree. So I'm elevated pretty high and this fawn's got its head down feeding straight towards me. So like you can put it right between the shoulder blades and it's like a killer shot. 
but it's not yeah. a right right to left margin of error is not much, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I set I well I don't settle. That's the problem. I think I I, I just got the pin goes over where I want to shoot and I pull the trigger and uh, boom, like a bunch of hair flies. The fawn jumps, stops, looks around. I'm like, okay, that was a straight up miss. Um, I'm going to get another arrow out here and see if it stays standing there. And while I'm getting another arrow out, it starts walking back towards my other arrow sticking in the ground. Like what the hell was that? Curious you know? what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So then I draw on it again. This time it kind of sees what's going on and it's at 30 yards broadside and I put it on it and I pull, the, you know, let it off and, uh, goes right over the top of the deer. And I can't tell if it jumped string a little bit too or not, but it totally missed. I'm like, wow, there goes another miss. And then the deer only went three more yards and stopped and was still looking around. And I'm like, well, I'm going to see if it lets me do that again. So I put another arrow in, draw, put it on the vitals, broadside, let it go. Once again, hair flies. And then it decided something weird's going on and then walked away. And so I had missed that deer three times in a row and I don't have any explanation <laughs> for it because I shot my bow the next day and I'm still, this bow is still on. So I think that it might be, uh, probably just had target panic. Honestly, you wouldn't think that on like a white tailed doe fawn, like who cares? But, um, I think if you get lax on your shooting, like mental steps and you know, you get in a situation, like it was still exciting, even if it's a doe fawn, you're sitting in a tree stand. And then when you have it click in your head that you're about to try and kill yeah. this animal, it, your, yeah. your adrenaline changes. Cause I had nice bucks walk under me that I couldn't shoot. Cause I don't have a tag and I didn't get too excited. I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, but then a doe fawn and it's like, you can kill this now. And then it's like, Oh, here we go. And you get all shaky and whatnot. And I think it's worse, you know, after you miss gets- the first time and then it's like, crap. Okay. I got a quick shoot again. So yeah. Yeah. Cause settled. then you have a timer. Then you like, then you're like, can I get drawn? Oh, I could get drawn. I better let her go, you know? And yeah, it was uh, the worst shooting performance of my entire hunting career. Um, and the thing is, I think like target panic, I think is something that can come on later in archery than in the beginning. I mean, you can definitely have that problem in the beginning, but I think that, like I was saying, it's like a mental rut you get into where you just like yeah. start to shoot you start getting bad habits when you're shooting at a target and you just do it over and over and then when it comes to something that's a live animal and more factors you just fuck up <laughs> yeah you don't take that extra second to like one two okay yeah like relax it's on it okay now settle breathe okay shoot instead of yeah. just yep there it is that's where i want to shoot boom shoot yeah shit yeah. can happen yeah we've all but, been there so now I mean, you now you gotta hunt harder to get out of that rut i have been i have been hunting yeah. i just haven't had another deer in range in the last two sits um but yeah so that that's what i've been up to lately is messing up so uh, that's kind of what we're talking about here we've been rambling for a while already without getting to exactly yeah yep. yep good <laughs> but we're good, talking uh, about <laughs> failures <laughs> Exactly. What we'll do here is do some small stories just like one we shared and kind of what we learned out of it. But my story here, the one that got away, this leads it all off, was the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life, right? Everybody says that. This one was big, but <laughs> <laughs> so so um, 
it was it was years ago. I was probably only like sixteen or seventeen at this point, and we, like I said earlier, just just starting this episode, we had lease land. Now it's no longer anymore, but we had some lease land, and it was all pasture, and and it used to be corn, beans, alfalfa, whatever it is. So it was it was prime prime deer habitat, and this year a guy that was um, farming it um, put out a bunch of fence poles and and tried to do this kind of organic grass grass grazing and so it was all pasture and we were kind of bummed about it like oh there's not going to be any more deer out there he's out there all the time checking his cows every day night all that stuff and I kind of you know 16 naive and I'm like oh 17 whatever I was I'm like oh yeah it's probably going to be bad whatever so I really never hunted it all year early season and at one point I decided, I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk just to see if there's any deer sign. Like I always do. So I parked by old, our shack and just proceeded to walk and just look for some sign. And, and lo and behold, where this pinch point comes down, I've described our land before, but it's kind of swampy. It's, it's North central Wisconsin. Some of that Northern zone kind of dips down into there. It's, um, really um cedar swamp hemlocks with some red um red maples and a few oak trees some high hardwood areas but this area comes down between two swamps it's kind of um hardwoods and hardwoods and it comes down with swamp on both sides so it's a it's a big funnel point where they got to go out to this field that's that is pasture and so I was, I was proceeded to walk there and I saw this giant scrape right on that road that kind of pinches them down. And the thing looked like someone just took a shovel and was digging holes out of it and it was ripped up. And then I proceeded to walk a little farther and I saw this, I don't even know what diameter the cedar was. And it was ripped to shreds up and down. And if you've ever seen a deer um, try to rub a tree, it takes a lot of effort or tried to rub a tree yourself with rattling antlers or something. It takes a lot of effort to rip a tree, especially that big. So um, I'm like, this is some really good sign. So I think I just, okay, cool. I'm backing out of here. I'm hunting this evening in the evening right here. We had a stand. It was an old stand um, that my dad set up. He used to take these small diameter cedar trees and cut two of them and then take two befores and just nail them on to make a ladder and then he would take pallets with a bracket and then nail them and fasten them to the trees so needless to say this this tree stand ate a little work but um i'm like it's right in the prime spot i'm gonna go back out and go hunt it so here I go up to that stand and the stand, like I said, it needed some work was a little rotten on the bottom. So I think I had to like kind of lift myself up on the good two by fours to get up like two steps, probably not safe, but <laughs> I, I walked stand. up. It's not safe. <laughs> oh, well, all those stands, I ripped them down and we put yeah. new ones on, but, um, I got up there. The platform was kind of rotten too. And I had this old chair that was on there. And so I set up, put my bowl hanger and all that stuff in and set up, was sitting down and saw some does walk by. And it's kind of a fast, it's a road and you get like one glimpse quick and he's like, they're in range and you don't even know because they're walking down this, this road that's dirt. So you can't really hear them. 
And so I saw these does go by and I proceeded to whip out my phone and probably text. And this was back in the day when they had the Motorola razors. <laughs> you remember, did you ever have a Motorola razor? <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I know oh, what you're talking about. A, fl- a flip phone and they had the T9 tech. So I think I was texting a buddy or something, whatever I was doing. And all of a sudden I look and boom, there's this buck. It's, we, they got picked, our neighbors had pictures of it. It's a 14 pointer kicker, split brows, kickers off the twos. I'm like, holy shit. And he's kind of walking decently brisk. And it's, it's a late October here. And I'm like, oh shit. So I, my bow hanger is in the wrong side too. It's on my right side. So I got to turn all the way around to grab my bow and grab my bow, my phone. And all of a sudden he kind of sees or hears or feels me and he runs right under my stand and at this point i'm like partially up so i draw and he's still under that stand and then he, i don't he he had to feel i was around or felt me probably my heart was pumping i'm a young kid running around and all of a sudden he goes and i'm doing the desperate call at him when he's kind of walking away off through this brush and and I, I think he stopped at the edge of the swamp. I remember him seeing and like looking back at me and said, oh, pretty much amateur hour over here when I'm not even prepared with this deer. And there he goes lumbering into the swamp. But that was, that was the biggest buck of my life. I think, I mean, I shot this one here. I shot all these on that land and it was bigger. It was bigger than that. My 12 here. <laughs> I'm like, oh crap. But yeah. That was my story of the one that got away, the fourteen pointer in in the central Wisconsin Sands area. So but, you were just distracted by your phone, and you also were not mentally kind of. Well, yeah, yeah. What do you What do you think? Uh, well, I know what you would do differently. <laughs> what, what, why yeah, do you I think, think. I think because um, I never knew. You know, it was just. I'm, it's, it's a good thing that I walked out there and scouted, found all this sign, but I didn't think I knew I was expecting anything. And that's the stupidest thing. I wasn't expecting anything. So I really was hardly kind of paying attention. I'm like, well, if I see some deer or whatever, and lo and behold, this big boy shows up, um, I would have paid definitely better attention. I would have put my dang phone away and I would have just set up differently. I mean, bow, bow hanger in a spot where, especially when you're sitting, like if you're sitting down, you have an element of you got to get up first too. So, I mean, if you're sitting, put your bow hanger right there where you can grab and get up all in one motion. Um, and I, I would have just been better set up and because it was kind of a fiasco when he came in. He was coming in perfect. I mean, it would have been 15 yards. It would have been nice a beautiful shot. He was walking slow enough where it would have been, I probably wouldn't even have stopped him, you know, and I just wasn't prepared. And, and then also another takeaway of that, I would say would never underestimate spots. You think areas like a cow pasture or something are bad. Well, everybody else thinks they're bad and a deer knows there's no pressure there. So he moves in, he can still eat grass. There's plenty of forage there. And, that's definitely one thing I learned there is never underestimate a spot or whatever's on fields, you know. 
Well, yeah, I would say that um, when I'm the most excited to hunt a whitetail spot would be the first time I'm sitting it. Either I have it set up and I haven't been in there a while and the first time I sit it or like with a climber or something going into a new spot, even if you're making a little ruckus getting in there, the first time you're sitting it is like, that's your highest odds. And so, yeah, don't, don't go into a place and just be like, ah, I don't think anything's going to happen here. I'm just going to sit and see what happens. Cause I feel like generally it's like my best hunts for whitetails have been when you just show up somewhere and you're the f- first time you're in there and then it's, it's on fire. And then it seems like subsequently it just slowly gets a little worse and worse as they either get your ground scent coming in or you bust them or whatever. And then they know where your stand is. And I think in Illinois, I was hopscotching around a bunch like that. And it was always like the second time I sat at a place, I didn't see anything. And when I moved to a new spot, even if it was a hundred yards away, then the deer yeah. were going over there, you know? Yeah. So, um, and then the other thing, yeah, I mean, fresh shine, fresh shine is fresh shine. I mean, if nobody's been hunting it and you got fresh shine. Like you better be ready. Yeah, you got that kind of, I don't know, now in my mind, I would have clicked it, been like, there's something big in here, so be, be ready. Fresh sign, um, first sit, I always love that. First sit's the best sit. Yeah, yeah. But, but we always got to learn that. I mean, the other part about it too, hunting, you, you, you get to know with the setup, like I think you and I kind of might have similar whitetail setups where I like to hunt thick stuff, close quarters, small shooting windows room to draw when they're behind brush and stuff. But, but those kind of spots like you're talking about, um, you need to be ready to like instant. Cause like when you see a deer, it's like pretty much in range already, you know, and like a lot of those ambush situations. Um, so yeah, that, that's comes into play too. learning how to have your setup so you can immediately be, you know, clip on your release and be ready. Um, I think another, another thing too is, uh, people always wait for them to, or, or bank on their ears. Like, Oh, I'll hear them coming. Mm-hmm. Well, not a lot of times, big bucks are walking slow or something. You're not going to hear them. So you always kind of got to be panning that area. And that's something I wish I would have, I w- wish I would have just faced that way actually. And just looked right at that road. So even if I was yeah. texting, I'd caught a glimpse and boom, ready. Yeah. I mean, simple things lead to success though. Yeah. Um, so that was a learning experience for you, uh, kind of early on in your hunting career. I'll share one, a story of, uh, Utah elk hunt, which was uh, the same thing. First time I've ever hunted elk. Uh, you actually were there with me on the opening weekend of that season. I don't Mm -hmm. know if we we talk about that much at all. I don't think at all ever on this. I think we've mentioned the fact that we went up there, but I don't think we actually talked about that hunt in detail at all. And I mean, I don't think that we need to really talk about your, you and my, you know, experience. Yeah, when we were up, there. Um, we were just yeah. taking a bunch. Yeah. So, anyways, there's this area. It's in the Uinta Mountains in northern Utah. Um, and I hiked in. Uh, I had been scouting out because I, I was working there in the summer, and I had a tag, a general tag, and uh, for the fall and. I was scouting elk a lot, probably put 70 miles on a scouting in the, in July coming up because season there opened what second week of August, third, second. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 60. Yeah. 10th, 16th, something. Yeah. Yeah, Always second weekend, I guess. Yeah. So I had been in there and I was finding a lot of elk sign and whatnot. And this is a very, uh, thick area to hunt elk, a lot of timber. 
a um, lot of timber. You can't so glass thought, things. Yeah. No, you can't glass at all. It's really high too. I mean that shoot. When, at one point on our hike, when we were hunting, we were at 11,000 feet, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, you, the area I was hunting was four miles in, I think to this drainage. And then I would go up it. And so it was like pretty much almost five miles back in there, which knowing what I know now about elk, uh, that was really stupid on my part to be hunting solo back in there in August. I don't know how I would have gotten that animal out of there. Um, but anyways, I, so I'll save you like the whole season, you know, I was hunting in there, had multiple opportunities and everything, but I want to focus on the one, the one day where I almost got it done. There's this, uh, area that has a really marshy, low gradient meadow with a stream going through it. And it's kind of the only open ish area in there. Most of the other stuff is steep and timbered and the bottom is also very thick timbered. Uh, some of that was like ridiculous deadfall to walk through. It was just pick up sticks. Yeah, that, in there. Uh, I remember that one time in the evening, just walking down all those big aspens and they were all like your belly button and I'm six, yeah. four. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, holy crap. I can't believe yeah. We it. actually yeah. cut through a rock field in the middle of the night to like go through the rocks yeah. instead of through the I, deadfall. Was that, was that due to, um, a lot of the, probably the beetle kill? I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, kind of alert of that well a lot of them are aspens i guess i was just thinking like well, I, think most of the dead, I think most of the deadfall in that spot actually was lodgepole um oh, so gotcha. yeah i think it yep. was beetle kill anyways yep. i set up i set up in the bottom here because now like you know it's august they're not bugling really if they are it's like not bugling to to respond they're just kind of like starting you know um mm-hmm. and so i set up on the ground and the it, it was like at this area where the timber comes out into this marshy meadow and there's elk sign everywhere. I found a couple wallows too. And, um, so I just, I just took to sit in there. Like I wasn't going to try to, you can't spot and stalk. It's too, too thick. You can't call cause it's, you know, third week of August or whatever. Like it's not really going to work. You can cow call some that might do something, but, um, so I sat there and I was just going to ambush them because there was these trails that crossed the opening. So I'm like, I'll have a, few seconds to see them come out in the open and then they're going to come across at this pinch point and hopefully shoot them. So I had sat down there and I had, you know, those, uh, those bow uh, holders that you can push down with your foot into the ground, which are sweet. I love them because you can, you know, when you're doing this kind of hunting, sitting there, you can have your bow ready to just grab with your arrow knocked, ready to go instead of having it like laying across your lap or holding it or whatever. So I had that and I had my range finder. And I had been ranging all of these trees from where I was sitting, like ready for, as, as whitetail hunting elk is what I was doing. You know, I was doing what I knew how to do and it actually kind of almost worked out because, um, earlier that, uh, afternoon a bull had come across the meadow about a hundred yards away. Like it went up through there and I was like, Oh, you know, get ready and everything. But he didn't come my way. He just went past up into the trees and I don't know where it was going. Also this tag I had was either sex. So I was going to shoot any elk that was coming through. Um, and so I was getting further in the evening and I was ranging all these trees all day, you know, like there's 30 yards, there's 38, there's 50. Also at this point I've been practicing shooting a lot and I was really, really good at hitting 60 yard shots, like, like really good groups at 60 yards. 
Now, looking back on it, even though I can still do that, I would not be shooting at 60 yards at an elk, personally. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I'm sitting there in this bull. All of a sudden, I look up, and this bull's coming. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And this is it was a smaller bull than the first one I saw. It was a raghorn, really goofy-looking raghorn. But I'm, you know, I'm like all amped up, ready to go. Nice. And he's coming across, and then he splits off this trail that's going to take him – around these trees instead of in front of them and i'm like okay i need to get up and move and try to cut him off and get a shot and i probably can because i have a little cover here and he's crossing he's crossing perpendicular to me so i need to like kind of just angle through these trees and it's going to be closer so i get up and i move over there and i get to the opening and he's he's broadside out there walking so i stop him you know i, I think I, I don't know made a grunt or a cow call or something i stopped him then I realized I left my rangefinder sitting on the ground next to my bow uh, hanger thing, and I was like, yeah. "Oh shit!" shit. Like I, I don't I don't know these ranges, but and then this is something also I would never do now. But I I, I pretty much guesstimated. I like I was looking. I'm like, he's standing there. He looks like he's about forty five yards, and so I drew on him, let an arrow go, and it goes right under his belly, and then he runs Ooh. away. And luckily, I didn't hit him. But, uh, yeah. So then I, I was like, you know, really deflated at that point. I mean, like, I don't know how many days I'd hunted up there and it's really far in there. Um, did you ever find out what the range was where he was sitting? Yeah. So I went back and I got my range finder and he was yeah. 55. So yeah, I oh. misjudged by 10 yards, which is not good. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that elk ran away and the rest of the season I did not have another opportunity. And that was that. So a uh, couple learning things there. One would be always keep your rangefinder on you, like on your person. I mean, that's why nice now with bino harnesses and all that stuff or whatever you got cargo pockets or something. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times if you're tree stand hunting, that's one thing. Like, you know, if yeah. you have a tree stand set up and you know your exact yardages, but sometimes I even think then if you get a situation where you hit one weird or whatever, and you got to get down and make a follow-up shot, you're going to want a rangefinder on you. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and then, uh, or if they come in from a different direction and you don't, you didn't really think they would, and you didn't range that, I, I think it's just always good to have a rangefinder on you. So, um, yeah. you hit, that's the tool that's available. You should use it. It, it. Actually, that tool has like completely changed the game. I don't know how people did it before that. Like, you just really had to know what things look like, and things yep. look at experience look yep. way different. Ranges look way different depending on the lighting, the terrain, all that. Um, yep. But yeah, and then the other thing that uh, I would have done different there probably would be uh, to not be that far <laughs> in the backcountry on an elk hunt solo. When it was that warm out, I like, I just don't even know what I would have done if, if I'd actually killed one. I mean, you were back there. That yeah. was, I think yeah. the first day that we went there was 11 miles total. Yeah. That, that would have been a murder if um, it was solo. Yeah. I would have, I don't know what you did. That would have been tough. Like yeah. And not I, having I mean, a plan. If you do kill something, even I don't, you don't like to count your chickens before they hatch, but it is always nice to know if, if I did something like, is this too far or? Yeah. 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 So, um, 
and on the hike out on the last day I hunted that, cause I'd hunted it for three weeks or whatever. I was pretty beat up. And on the hike out, I was like so exhausted and I had, I had no weight on my back. And if yeah. I had killed an elk in there, it would have been four trips with one person. Yeah. No, yeah. maybe not four or three, maybe, but, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> that was, uh, <clears throat> a pretty big swing in the miss there. A little whiff. Um, but that's kind of like just learning. You, you got to do those mm. things in order to but, get better. Luckily, I mean, that's a over-counter elk unit. That's a, a very pressured one. And you got a shot off hell on. That's that's still your within range of one. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. For your first elk on too, that's, that was pretty nice. Yeah. And that is one that actually lends itself to that whitetail kind of hunting. Because, mm. because of the terrain and the fact that they're not really calling. Like that's kind of your play. The problem in that situation too, though, was the wind in there was pretty difficult. I mean, yeah, this is I where we, this that. is like right where we took that nap or I didn't, yeah. I took a nap. You didn't fall asleep. I yeah. fell asleep. Remember that in the middle yeah. of the day? Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I got to learn on that one. Uh, do you got any, so those are two stories of uh, kind of like nothing bad happened. It was just a little bit of a stinger cause uh, you weren't successful and you put in all that effort, but uh we would definitely have a couple stories that we're probably going to tell right now about some, some ones that really felt bad because he did hit an animal yeah. and we weren't able to recover it. Yeah. I, I, I find that story, you know, just it, the maturity of where you were, you know, first, first hunter and stuff and, and willing to shoot a shot like that. It's nice to be prepared to the range finder and kind of know if you do get an animal down, but that it's going to be a long journey and that animal might spoil, but let's, uh, let's move into the next stories. I think of actually shooting one, you know, and, and having that long recovery and tracking process. But so my story will be kind of one we talked about a little bit before of this year. I had, um, a nice white tail come in, played everything right, had a wind pattern where he was on, I was talking to Ruben. I'm like, what should I do? He didn't, he didn't text me back. And so I'm like, I'm going for it. I'm going to that spot. And, and you're like, Oh, I'd sit out a little bit. I'm like, crap, already too late. I shot one. Yeah. It wasn't so, even like you were in the stand. You texted me back when I gave you my opinion. You're like, I already shot one. So your opinion. Doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> yep. Yep. Shoot. But so so this was this was a year first year I've I've used the saddle too. Let's go back to that and um, I, I had a plan on this deer. Everything worked out perfect. Climbed up, found this tree, open maple, had canopy cover behind it. Everything was perfect, kind of set up nice. And so these deer came up. I was hoping to shoot them on my left. You know, when you're saddle hunting, you want your best spot on your left hand side so you can just kind of pull back and if you're and right shoot. So. If you're a right-hand shooter. Yep. Correct. So, so those deer came up perfect. This big oak tree came up to about 18 yards. One, this other 10 pointer, that was a little, it was smaller, probably three and a half, just, I don't know, one thirties, whatever. I'm like that big eight. He's a lot more mature. I want to try to shoot him. So let that 10 go by at like five yards right underneath me. <laughs> Pretty cool. So I draw back on that eight point. And being a new saddle hunter, I got this string coming down right in front by my breast 
and I pull back, get the full draw, and I bump my back elbow, and my bow goes forward. And I'm like, oh, shit. So nothing happened. They didn't care. They just kept walking. So I pulled back again, and um, that deer comes up and and felt calm, saw a good shot, same that he didn't move. Um, so I put it on him and um, let the arrow fly. And it sounded good. You could hear that bloop that like wherever it went in i could see the deer meal kick and i watched him run off and up to the hill and kind of where he went off into the crp field and and so i just sat there i think i was probably texting you already and stuff i got this deer all all jacked up was assuming that it was it was going to be a goner i'm like everything it sounded good everything just sounded great and it ran off and everything. So, got down. Full on mule kick crashing, lots of noise. I don't know. The, the shot, it was close. Every, like, in where I could see the arrow, how the shot just felt, everything. And I'm like, Did you it, find it just felt arrow? good. Um, the clear pass through. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good blood, red, um, bubbly. I've showed you, and yeah. we could I could put on here the blood trail that I was on. So, I got on the blood trail. Um, I gave it about probably a half an hour to 45 minutes. I think more leaning towards a half an hour, um, which that might be kind of a mistake. Um, and so I started, found the blood, good blood, um, where he would walk or stop. There's big pools of blood, bubbles all in it. And I was assuming potential like long shot. So, so I was keep going, keep going. He did stop the one time and just kind of look back. It looked like big pool of blood and then just kept going running. So I was tracking blood for a while and I think it was getting darker and my headlamp's not the best. And I guess I decided where he kind of was moseying in the thick cover where potentially he was looking. You could just kind of read the deer's instinct and be like, he's looking to bed down somewhere. It just feels like right now. He's looking to lay down, and he's kind of moving slower, walking now. And based on and the I'm cover like, type that he's in? Based on the cover type and kind of how he's walking in those trails, starting to get through some thick stuff. I'm like, yeah. he's looking to – he's slowed down. He's stopping, kind of gathering his thoughts, what's going through his mind. And I'm like, okay, uh, I don't think this animal is going to be dead in the next, like, hour or 15 minutes. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here, get back in the morning, get on the trail no rain, no nothing. So I went back up there, found, found the blood, found the blood trail really good. Um, got back on it, found one bed. Looks like he got up and was moseying again down this trail to somewhere else. And, and that second bed is where he must've spent all night. I could have potentially bumped him on that other one because there was a little pile of blood but i think whatever he was sitting on you could see the blood was in the front chest like behind the shoulder somewhere because on his legs you could see the little blood pool was there and i saw that blood and and i really couldn't find um where he went after that and so i i started just kind of sitting in the bed and i'm like okay looking where trails where he could cut down or where where he went and so i just started going down trails and eliminating an area where first i didn't think he was going i'm like i'm pretty sure he lifted up there's one drip on the back here 
I think he lifted up, turned 180 degrees and headed back that other way down this hill and wherever. That's where I think he went. So I'm like, I'm going to eliminate where I don't think he is first before I go bumping where he is. Um, so he, so I, I walked all that, didn't find anything. Um, very thick, very thick stuff. Um, but so I went to what I thought he potentially did and I could see some tracks down where it looked like a deer was running. So I followed those tracks for as long as I could and it leaded to this trail and it was a faint trail on the side of a hill, thick stem density, rugged kind of terrain. So I, I followed that and all of a sudden I was looking forward and I'm like, Ooh, that's really nice starting to get into some rock outcroppings. I'm like, this looks like good bedding. Kind of at this point, I was pretty exhausted because I've been trying to track this deer for a while. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to loop around and kind of zigzag this and work back to that outcropping. So I was just going up the hill and all of a sudden, just something crashed. Like right where that rock outcropping was. I'm like, oh, okay. I would assume, I mean, that, that looks like a good deer bed, probably a doe or something. And so I kind of loop around, zigzag to that rock outcropping like I did. And sure shit, I see blood in that bed where that deer was. And I'm like, crap, like that was him. Ryan, I, I could see that. I should have been glassing ahead. I'm like, damn it. So I was looking at the bed a little more. I saw where he jumped down. And then all of a sudden I was seeing fresh blood again. And I'm like, okay, this, this might be good. He might run and bleed out again, you know? bedding is compressing those lungs or wherever I hit him. Um, and he could potentially open back up and bleed out a little bit. So I kept on that fresh blood and he was bleeding, he was running, but he was bleeding pretty good again. So I kept pushing him, pushing him, pushing him at this point. I'm like, I'm going to try to run this deer down with the blood trail. So I just kept walking as fast as I could arrow knocked everything. And, and I couldn't really catch up to him and i'm like i think my best option is to go get my buddies down there and see if i could post them ahead and try to push this deer right to him and maybe they someone could get a follow-up shot or even me if it doubles back so went and got them posted them ahead and kept pushing but nothing i ran out of blood i don't know if it doubled back i don't really know what happened but um i guess the take home of that was i assumed that that was a dead deer and i don't know what happened with the shot um i know it was a little dark and the same thing as with your doe maybe i did rush it a little bit you know you you lift up okay it's right behind the shoulder boom let go um assuming it was only 18 yards i'm like nothing's gonna drop it's gonna hit him right in the smoke pole but um I really don't know what happened. And then also hunting with new equipment and the setup I wasn't totally comfortable with. I I did, I was practicing with that saddle, but I don't know. That one was a, that one was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember you, you sent me pictures of that blood initially and I was like, you know, slam dunk, like that thing is not going anywhere. I mean, when you see that amount, the brightness and some bubbles in it, you just automatically assume lung shot. Um, I don't know. So I have a buddy who shot a buck a few couple weeks back. Actually, that same buck I was talking about, I could have shot that one morning mm-hmm. five by five, mm-hmm. um, like half an hour after it passed me, he shot it. And okay, 
he had he had a bad shot on it. Like he took a <laughs> same kind of shot that I took on that doe that I missed. He he took that shot. Um but it was staring at him. Uh and and he was trying for well, his was a little different. He was trying for a frontal shot, I think, instead of like between the shoulders and Ooh, yeah. The, it, in a tree stand. Yeah, like it, you, like, yeah. I don't even know if you can make that shot because, like, that hole in the front uh, by the I think it's probably a size. Yeah, I was gonna say there's nothing. probably a thing of the size of your thumb where you got to hit. And yeah, and then there's, also there's, there's not like an elk. An elk, it's like a softball size. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and and when you're elk hunting, you're generally not elevated, so it's like straight on. But anyways, it hit this deer. And they tracked it uphill for 900 yards, but once, like, kind of like yours, it had a lot of blood and it had a lot of bubbly blood, but it was going uphill yeah. all the time and it wasn't slowing down. And I, I'm wondering with both of those deer, because you, I wonder if you could have hit somewhere where it just nicked either the esophagus or just nicked a lung so that yeah. that blood is getting air pushed into it as it's coming out of the animal. It's not... It's not necessarily a lung shot, but as the blood's coming out, there's a little bit of air going into the blood, putting bubbles in it and making it bright red because all that oxygen goes into it. I'm wondering if that is a possibility of why you would get a blood trail like that that looks like lung blood, but they don't die. Like, yeah. Because, you know, if you I, hit him I, like don't, that, I don't know with mine because I know there was a tree blocking his head. Mm-hmm. And and like right before the shoulder, because I could see his back leg, and I I don't know if I shot low and nicked like nothing, or I don't know. I would have to think you would. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would almost think you would have shot high, just the way that. Uh, it, and that's that's what I was thinking too. Is like maybe eighteen yards. I shot high, put it high on him. He maybe ducked. I don't know, you know, and hit them high. So, yeah, because if you shoot them low like that, uh, they're bleeding that amount. Like, you just got to think that they lose a lot of blood pressure, you know. But if it's high, That's, it's like you keep you, they keep their blood pressure. But um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, good on you for the uh, you know staying on it. I mean, I don't, I know people that might look for an hour and then be like, Oh, we're never going to find that one. You know, um, same, same with the, the mule deer situation you had, you know, really sticking to it. And was there, what was the, um, what was your, uh, conclusion? What you would have rather done? I mean, you did take your time and you did keep on that deer for a whole day. The, the track, the track, I wouldn't have did anything wrong besides trying to in mental thought, always trying to be, um, alert because I, I, the track I did, I thought pretty damn good. And I wish I would have been more alert and potentially glassed because that deer did hold tight. I could have glassed him up and I knew that would look like a good spot to bed. Mm. And I kicked myself cause I'm like, I probably could have spotted that deer. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know what I would have did though. He was laying down. It was thick. I would have had to been like tackling them to try to get them but yeah that and then also my shot that one uh, the extra breath i wish i would have took you know just that one you always hear that 
Yeah. That I one. mean, on that doe that I missed a bunch of times, I don't think I took any breaths. I was just like, oh, yeah. I'm on it. Let go. And I think that's yeah. a, big, a big issue that I need to get through right now. I think um, another thing, too, is is sometimes like practicing on does. And actually, I know it's like killing. It's bad. But it like if you're waiting just for that one big buck and you don't shoot anything for four or five years, you're probably going to have a little panic or a little rust when you let that arrow go on that buck that you've never shot a deer in four years. So mm-hmm. shooting some does, like keeping, keeping shooting and all that, like in mind, cause like you said, it's different when you say I'm going to harvest that animal mm-hmm. versus letting it walk away. And it's like, Oh, I'm not even, my heart's yeah. not even palpitating, palp- whatever beating. Yeah. And, yeah I, it but, is so, it is so much different when you actually realize that you're going to try to kill this thing. I mean, yeah. I watch so many deer come within five yards of my tree stand and walk through that. I'm not going to shoot. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, oh, this is cool, you know. But when yeah. you think to yourself, it's time to execute, you know, it's like that's when it becomes way different. But, yeah, so totally I'll, I'll tell one more little story here about um, wounding loss. Uh, and yeah. then I think that we'll, we'll break that one down a little bit. But then I think to wrap it all up. Uh, we should probably just go over how how you get past these things when they happen to you. Because like the first couple stories, we'll talk about learning, which is always good, and then we can learn some stuff too from the wounding loss. But I think that we should also people don't talk about it that much. I think you should talk about mentally how do you get over that hurdle because that's a big thing. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so we were on you were out and you were here when this happened. We we're out on a pronghorn hunt in 2020 in Wyoming. Um, this is the first year that I lived in the Western States and uh, we, we'd been talking about this pronghorn hunt actually for like three years or whatever after I lived in Utah and we looked up that Wyoming mm. had those really cheap non-resident doe tags if you draw them. So we got you, you know, we had this episode, what, 10 episodes ago or something with uh, Matt yep. and yeah, uh, we had you, me, Matt, Johnny, AJ and Cam were out there. Cam, no. Yeah, great, great hunting trip, fun hunting trip. But first day that we're out there on opening day, I have a doe tag, you have a buck tag, and then Matt was filming, even though Matt does have a doe tag too. And uh, the first group of, well, the first an- antelope we saw were the was that little tiny lone buck, and then after that, there was a doe, doe. and a small buck that... Um, you pass on the buck cause it wasn't big enough. And then they kind of got out of range for me. And so when we peeked over this little rise and th- where we're, where we're hunting is a huge, like step tabletop, like, you know, kind of red rock cliffs come up from the one side, 400 feet to this big, like mile wide, four mile long tabletop sage open kind of stuff. And there's a couple of little out- outcroppings of rock in it, which is like the only kind of cover. So we like had crept up to this where we saw these does bed down the night before the day before season. And so those two antelope went away and we, we peeked over the other side and then there's a group of six does maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe six. Yeah. Uh, that are out there like three plus three plus hundred yards. And, yep. uh, so, you know, there's no bucks in the group. I'm, I'm up. I've got my gun, the gun I'm shooting is a Springfield Game Master 30-06 pump action rifle. Mm. Pump action rifle. Now, growing up in the Midwest, we hunt a lot of thick shit. 
And I would say that in the Northwoods, especially a long shot is a hundred yards. That's like, Oh, that's a little bit of a poke, you know? Yeah. Pretty funny. So this rifle, um, was okay in that situation. But when you're shooting long range, longer ranges, uh, pump action is not what you want. There's a lot of wiggling going on on your grip, and it's not going to be a consistent shot. So uh, I didn't really know this because I am not a good shooter, and I've never really shot a lot at long range because, like I was saying, in the Midwest we're shooting at like 50 yards, you know. So I had, I mean, I did know that I was having troubles like sighting this gun in. Like I, I was out there with AJ a month before scouting this area. And I think I shot that gun at 200 and it was like, I don't know. It was like, it was like a softball <laughs> group at 200. You know, I'm like, Oh, like a six, eight inch group uh, at 200. I'm like, Oh, that's okay. And then I tried one at three and I think I like didn't like, I hit like a foot off and I'm like, well, whatever, you know? So anyways, yeah. we're, we're lined up on these pronghorn. Actually, another hunter comes in behind us and kind of spooks them towards us. So I'm, I'm on this rock outcropping elevated. They're below. It's probably like a 50 foot cliff in front of us. And then they're huge. Wide was it flat. wasn't kind of that hunter was kind of working. He, he spooked them, but then he was still working towards us. And he, I don't know why he didn't see us or something. And he, it's like, okay, we got to make a decision to shoot this, these animals or not, because they're going to be yeah. gone here so, in X amount of time. Yeah. He bumped, he bumped them like soft bump them from like 400, mm-hmm. uh, like around. Yeah. What were they at? They were like just over 200. The first, I, they were probably just on. under. Th- yeah. 260. Yeah. I remember on the film, 260, mm-hmm. 250. Yeah. But yeah, like you were saying, Ryan, he bumped them so they got in range, but he's still coming. So like they're they're gonna totally blow out of there in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so I'm on the gun. I'm, I line up. You know, yeah, it's it right right at edge of range. It was like high two hundreds probably. You know, and I put the put the crosshairs right on the top of the back, uh, aiming like six seven inches high at three hundred, and yeah, squeeze the trigger and boom and. Um, they take off then, but the the one that I was aiming at was the lead doe. She's in the back, and you're like, "Oh, you hit her, you hit her," but it was back, and I, I hit her in the leg, like hamstring. So then they she she stopped. was hurting. Yeah, she was hurting. She immediately stops. Like I think she only ran like 20, 30 yards and stopped, and the rest of the group kind of ran a hundred yards and stopped. So I line up again. She's maybe even a little closer at this point, or about the same range, and I shoot, and it's right over her back. And then, you know, you guys are like right over the back. And so then I, I. She kind of paused there because the group went and she was like trying to go, but couldn't. Yeah. And. Did I shoot three times? Nope. Twice. Yeah. So I hit her. She went, stopped, shot again. And then I think she got a bolt. She got a jolt of adrenaline and then caught up with the group and they took off. So I'm like, okay. We looked at the film, I think, or maybe not. I don't know, but we knew that I hit her back. And we knew that she stopped and looked not great at first. So we went down there and we started trailing. And um, she was bleeding a decent amount. But I, I know that when they ran away, they ran about 800 yards away up on that ridge line. And then they disappeared. Yeah, we watched them. And so yep. I'm like, well, she's definitely not hurting too much because they just covered half a mile. And yep. uh, so anyways, what we ended up doing started blood trailing it 
popped up over that ridge real slow to see if I could glass up, you know, if she had bedded down or something and basically ended up tracking further down to where the blood met the property line and they went on to private and you couldn't see anything. Yeah. And, um, pretty, pretty down in the dumps. I mean, you can't do anything. They went on to private land and it's not even like we have a beat on them. Like they disappeared onto there. Yeah. Um, I remember at that point we were just kind of tracking tracks or blood kind of, well, we didn't know because at that there was a lot of antelope in that area where we kind of lost her. Yeah, and then we and, had a bunch of antelope tracks, and it's like oh, and shit, a little snow go? squall came in. So like all of a sudden yeah. we were getting we were getting blood was disappearing because we had some snowflakes coming down and and whatnot. And this is about an hour after I shot her. I think that we were at the property line, so yeah. no no indication that this antelope is gonna like go down. Goes on to private, losing losing blood because of the snow and. Yeah, so we just sat down to eat lunch, and and then immediately after that, you shot your buck. But um, yeah, so that kind of like that kind of like made it not as sad, even Boosted though boosted you back up. Yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, definitely down in the dumps, and later on too, thinking about it, you know, you hate you hate when that happens. But yeah, so there was an, an, anything else you would have like going back now, like you would you would have did with that because you know we kind of our hands were tied, I guess, just the. Just no, the there, shot, there, was, there was nothing to do there. The only thing to do there was to buy a different gun because <laughs> I later, later, well, that trip. Yeah. So I, I hit that pronghorn, wounded it, lost it. The next day I took three shots at those ones that were coming around that cam had snuck in on and missed those. But that was a yeah, bad, that was that a was, bad decision was... to shoot at those. They were, they yeah. were trotting like they were, they were running. Um, but then the one that I did end up killing, I, I freaking made a bad hit and had to finish her off too at like 60 yards. And what what I found out was that this gun like legitimately is the problem. I mean, I would go to the range with that thing and I would not be able to not be able to get a good group on that thing at 200 yards. I mean, like you would get two, three in a, in a baseball and then you'd have one flyer at like a foot off and it, yeah. That action is just so loosey goosey that when you're shooting, it's not accurate at all. I mean, that is a brush gun. Yeah. That is for pumping more rounds in on a deer drive, and yeah. and so I would never use that gun again. Like, and it was also a little bit damaged. I think there might have been a burr, like a little bit of burr on the inside of the actual that barrel. rifle barrel. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and you know, this is Fun. I'm I've just I just had gotten this you know first kind of permanent full-time job you know just moved to montana so like cash is not you don't have a lot of extra cash so you're like i'm gonna you know just try to like bare bones it and and it when it comes to your shooting equipment you should not do that's what you should be spending money on um so that's what i would do different in that situation i wouldn't have done anything different with the tracking i mean that's kind of how we had to do it um but yeah that luckily knock on wood that is the only animal that I've wounded. That that's the last time I've wounded an animal. So twenty twenty. So this is good. Yeah. Third I mean, I've missed. Like I said, I've totally missed, but I haven't lost an animal that I know that I hit since then. But we should talk about um, that. So I was going to talk about how we um, get over these things or learn from our mistakes of wounding or making a making um mistakes. Yeah, we can. Why don't we just quick talk about like learning and how to keep sharp, and then yeah, I think we need to yeah. talk talk mentally about getting over wounding loss. Um, 
both sides of it because one one side you can get really bent out of shape. The other side is also bad where you don't really care and you keep doing it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, but why don't we – I think that starting off with just learning, um, don't get hung up on mistakes because uh, – I mean, learn, you learn them. from them, but, but that's a pro that's part of the process, right? Is you're not going to hone in every detail of your setup, whether it be whitetail hunting, elk hunting, turkey hunting, like that is how you learn. You can read all of in YouTube videos and articles definitely help you quite a bit, but when it comes down to it, it's experience. And like you were saying, Ryan, you need to kill some stuff to learn, learn how to do it. Um, oh. and I, I would say that, uh, if you, if you're, if you're making mistakes in the field, that's fine. Just keep, keep doing it. I mean, like you, that's how you get better. Like more repetitions, keep going out there. Don't get disheartened because you had a 14 point buck walk under your stand. Now you're never going to see that deer again. And, yeah. and you know, like things happen and, and the next day you go out there, you, you make an adjustment and then it could turn out the way you want it to just like that. But, you know, keep, keep that in your mind, the repertoire of things that you've done that made mistakes and don't get, I guess, dull. Don't forget about what you've done wrong in the past. Um, like I always keep my rangefinder on me now. Like it doesn't even matter if I'm yeah. sitting in a whitetail stand and I know all the ranges. I always have it just in case there's a weird situation where I need to find a range. Um, well, I don't know what would right you there's, Right there's to the point though, the big home, big takeaway these mistakes are good if you learn from them. They're not good if you keep making the mistakes. And then I think, too, you make a mistake or you never got an animal or whatever it is. Analyze that. Like, how could you improve that? Or, like, what was bad with your bow, the broadhead or arrow or something like that? Like, what could be better? Test that, too, when you're at home. Test all these situations. But then when it comes to, like, an animal, too, like, you're going to have to test it on that. That one's hard. Do your due diligence to get your equipment ready and how you even use, how you climb up in a tree stand, shooting from a tree stand, um, moving, uh, do 3D, go to a 3D range and move and range stuff like like your uh, spot and stock hunting. I think all that. I think just, one just thing, getting out there and doing it. One thing I would say that would will reduce your amount of mistakes in the field are doing like full on, you know, practices. So, um, I need to do this more obviously. Cause I've, I just whiffed on that deer three times. Uh, but when you're sitting in a tree stand, how many variables are different than when you're shooting at a target? One, one yeah. thing that people I think don't think about very much, which I need to focus on more too, is when you have on 18 different layers of clothes because it's 15 degrees outside and you're sitting in a tree stand with uh, gloves on and everything, where is your anchor point when you draw? I mean, if you have on a two hoods and a neck warmer, you're, you're wherever you're putting your anchor point, whether it be on your chin, behind your ear, whatever, there's a, there's a good quarter half inch that it's not at. Where when you're mm -hmm. not when you're not wearing all that stuff, your anchor point's slightly different. So pr practice shooting with all your gear on, um, or and also definitely mistake people make all the time is practicing with field points all the damn time, and then basically putting your broadheads on to see that they shoot the same, and not practicing with broadheads. Like yeah. it, it kind of sucks with mechanicals and or and your luminox and all that. Yeah, 
But like I, I shoot G5 Montex, which are a triple blade, and you can I, I resharpen them every time. But I, I practice mm-hmm. with the exact arrow I'm going to be shooting at an animal, and and then I just re, you know I just sharpen those blades after I'm shooting it through a target. Or another thing that I do is have that 3D target, and I take it out into the woods, and then you just set it up and walk around and have different shots from different angles behind trees, step out while you're drawing, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So doing real goes. Uh, I, nothing, nothing substitutes for actually pulling the bow back and shooting a real live animal, but definitely you can do better than sitting at you know your lawn shooting at a block, and that's all you're doing. Yeah. Even bet with your buddies, put a little pressure on, you know, that's just like having a deer in front of it. Like yeah. people watching like, Oh my gosh, there's pressure. Well, put mm-hmm. a little pressure on, but yeah, but yeah, just, just staying in tune with what's going on. Stay sharp during season too. Just because you shot your bow in opener and are ready doesn't mean it's going to shoot the same in December 31st when late season's around. I think that, uh, I fell victim to that too, where I, uh, you know, I killed that mule deer November 1st and then I went back to hunting whitetails like and I didn't I didn't shoot my bow for three weeks and I did shoot it a couple times before I went to hunt just to make sure that it was still shooting on. But the practice, the repetitions like you're kind of it's a muscle. You need to work it out. It starts to starts to um, uh, atrophy, you know, when you're not practicing, like your form is not going to be as good if you're not practicing every few days. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I mean do what you can, but the moral of the story is when you make mistakes in the field, uh, don't, I, I guess don't get too beat up about it. Cause that's how you learn, but going, going now into yeah. wounding loss. I mean, that's a serious thing for me. I think that if you're, I would hope that, um, all hunters, let's get this straight. Like definitely with archery and probably with a rifle as well. At some point in your hunting career, it's going to happen where you make a bad hit and you don't find an animal. So the, how you approach that after it happens, I think is the important part. Um, and I take it really personal and really hard normally, uh, maybe too much. I guess I, if you do your due diligence and, and make sure that like, if I hit an animal and don't find it, I'm breaking down every single aspect of how did that happen? And I need to fix that. Cause it's like, that's the worst yeah. thing. Um, but after it's happened a few times, you need to realize that that's part of the game. And I've definitely fallen victim to beating myself up too much where you're almost like, uh, I, maybe I should just hang up the bow for the season. You know, maybe I should just quit because, uh, Cause I feel so bad Things about it going well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I think, I think it's a mistake to do that. Cause I don't think you're going to solve, uh, your problem by, by stopping at a point when you are at a low and you just fail. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you don't uh, face that problem, you're not going to get any better. It's just going to stay a problem. But I do think at the same time, I think there's a big problem with people who don't take it to heart at all. I know some people who take some long shots and who's hit some animals and don't find them. And they, they might only go in there and track you for an hour and be like, well, we're not going to find that one. Let's go find another. And then they're still taking long shots at the next one. And it's kind of like, these are living animals. This is not an arcade, you know, you should, you should be breaking down what happened and you should really hone what your, what is your effective range it doesn't matter that you can hit a target at 80 yards every single time. Um, 
is that ethical to shoot an animal like that? And even if you could hit an animal and kill it, what is the percentage of times that you're not? It, like, I, I, I find it troubling when people focus on the fact that they can kill a deer at 80 yards of the bow. And that's what yeah. they focus on. It's like, I can kill a deer at that range. And I'm like, yeah, but how many are you not killing? You know? Yeah. Like, that's, to me, that's the important part. I want to have, it goes back to what everybody always says. You should be 100% certain that, and obviously you never are 100%, but you should think in your mind that you're 100% certain this animal is going to die when you shoot at it. Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't always end or up that you, way. Yeah. Or you've but, done everything in your power to put you in that yeah. that dang good probability of putting an arrow through the boilermaker, yeah. you know? And if you're, I don't know, if you're drawn back on something and you're like, oh, there's a 75% chance that I'm going to kill this when I let this arrow go. I'm like, yeah, that is good. not... <laughs> That is not okay, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. if there is if there's a realized proportion or a realized if there's anything in your mind that thinks there's a chance that this is not gonna work, then you shouldn't take that shot, in my yeah, opinion. Agreed. But yeah. I mean what what did you feel like after I mean you you had that happen twice this year we talked about um I mean that that's a gut wrencher. Yeah, the 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 mule deer in Utah, um that one, I'm like, shit, I just screw my camera, alert, all that. I'm like, I wouldn't shoot a, shoot a deer that um, was really looking at you at distance like that because it could bend the, or dip the string or pull out and like I did. That was a mistake. That's a shot I probably should have just sucked up, and I should have had a good shot maybe getting back on that deer if you would have not seen me because sometimes the shot that you don't take is the best shot. But that one I learned from kind of bad shot the second one i was kind of confused yeah me i'm too. like what like what did i do and that's what i hate sometimes a lot of times that's probably the hardest to get over because like how do i not do this on the next one like what did i do wrong like mm. what i don't know i what was i don't know i looked at everything I just sh- shooting more i i don't know and I was practicing with my saddle. I was trying to do everything right, and it just unfortunately didn't work out. So that one I did not know. But I, I think, think that's if you important. do. It, yeah, yeah. I think that's an important thing to realize too is that you need to be okay with that being a potential outcome. And if you if you know that you did everything in your power to like and like you said, you don't you can't point to one thing in that hunt where you were like, I would have done that differently, and that might have helped me recover yeah. that deer. You can't point to anything. So I think that when you realize that that's an important realization because it allows you to go back to the field and continue to hunt. Whereas if you get too hung up on that, then you're going to, you're going to mentally be out of the game. Yeah. You know, you can't um, like face those fears or problems. It's like, I really, in reality, you got to get your butt back out there and put an arrow through and, and, and do the right things again, but maybe take a little extra caution on everything because mm-hmm. don't take for granted when you punch that trigger that pull that trigger like there's an animal's life out there you want to be it as clean as quick as possible and don't just oh big buck get all all um tampered up in, in the moment just take that extra breath always always remember that and i've i've made that mistake a million yeah. times so and i I'm mean i'm speaking not... from experience now yeah it... I mean, honestly, if 
if somebody thinks that that's too too much for them to handle, if if hitting an animal and not finding it is something that's too much for you to handle, then yeah, maybe you should think about if you do want to hunt because mm-hmm. that happens. And it's the toughest part, yeah, yeah, and you have to be okay with knowing that can happen, and when it does happen, obviously analyze everything, but. If it's a situation like you had, you just have to be okay with it and go back out there and get right back on the horse. I mean, it's mm-hmm. otherwise you're otherwise you're gonna just kind of unravel. I feel like. I mean, I've had situations like that where I've had seasons end because I like all of a sudden I hit a deer and I didn't find it, and then I was just like totally in my head the whole time after that, and and just messed up setups, messed up like drawing and all that because you're just thinking the whole time, don't mess this up, and that's when you mess up is you think to yourself, don't yeah. mess this up. You need to have that confidence. Um, but yeah, I, I was like you were saying. I think to sum it all up would be. You should, you should judge yourself as a hunter by the shots you don't take. Like you were saying, Yeah. you need to recognize yeah. what is a bad shot or maybe not a bad shot, but what isn't a hundred percent shot and be willing to pass just because you can hit deer at 60 yards, 70 yards, 80 yards. Doesn't mean that that's going to be a, a good shot to take. And you need to be willing to pass an opportunity and maybe you don't get another opportunity that buck. Maybe that's it. Maybe you never never got the shot that is the hundred percent shot. You need to be okay with watching that buck walk away and never have another shot at it, versus potentially wounding it. You know. So the I shots agree. you don't shot, take are important. That wounded deer might die down the line. You you won't have the opportunity period to chase it, and you're not going to recover the animal. I would rather have not taken a shot and have still the opportunity to try to get back on them or. Maybe there's a young kid next door, your neighbor that that's still hunting too, and he shot that deer that you didn't take the shot, so you gave them an opportunity to do that. So I would rather have the deer in the landscape than an arrow and wounds in it too. Yeah, yeah. So I guess how do you want to wrap this all up? I guess we kind of went on a few different tangents, yeah. maybe not tangents, but I think in summary, I would say keep. Keep repetitions, keep analyzing, and um, know yourself. Know how you're going to react to losing an animal that you hit. And uh, if it's too much for you, then, yeah, maybe uh, try try a different activity. But if if not, oh, if you yeah. want to keep out there, then you just need to be, be good with what happens and always try to get better. Um, I, I agree. Yeah, I I'm, I'll piggyback on that. Always try to get better and – you know, one thing that you could do even that I kind of do too, is even write down the story of your screw ups. Cause then you can analyze them or look back. There might be some things that get highlighted or you do the same mistakes just so you don't do the same mistakes. And yeah, I guess one thing we, one we thing, always will, we didn't say yep. this, but that, that is a good point you make Ryan is that, um, we are, we are right now talking about these things out in the open. And if yeah. I was talking to somebody last night at a party that we were talking about hunting and, uh, the amount, the, the, the shot to kill ratio is normally way higher than what people talk about. People always talk yeah. about the shot where they killed an animal. Nobody talks about the three different shots they missed before they hit it, you know, and yep. <laughs> you're not going to get better at all. If you kind of blot that out of your mind and you're like, Oh, I killed it. But it's like, well, what, what really went down here? And 
you know, not trying to like, I mean, I mess up all the time. And if you add that up, it's like all about getting the, all about reducing the number of shots it takes to kill an animal. Like, yeah. Be real to yourself too. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't fix a problem if you don't identify it. So if you just choose not to talk about the failures, then you're going to continue to make failures. (laughs) I agree. I think that's a, that's a good way to conclude it, but well, everybody do their, do your part to make that lethal kill, but always keep proving and keep having fun. Holidays are upon us with Christmas and Thanksgiving just in our, in our rear view mirror here, but everybody yeah. in, in, yeah. I would say a good way to wrap it up would be we're pretty much at the end of most hunting seasons going into winter, which is a good reflection mm-hmm. period. So yes. <laughs> take time to reflect on what you did good and what you didn't over the hunting season. 